we have come to the last sunday of uh, advent uh, christmas is round the corner it's next week just a few days away during advent we not only remember that god was born as a man in jesus christ but we also remember why he was born as a man and together over the last 3 weeks and this is the fourth week um through this time of remembering the birth of Christ Jesus and the reason for his birth we have been journeying through the book of Isaiah in the old testament of the bible more specifically we've been looking at how Isaiah even though he lived 700 years before Christ was born we've been looking at how he anticipated the birth the virgin birth the life the death the resurrection of Jesus Christ our messiah we're going to be going back uh to Isaiah this morning and we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 55 and we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses Isaiah 55 verse 1 to 11 it's come up on on screen and I've requested Joshua to read the passage out for us over to Joshua come everyone who thirsts come to the waters and he who has no money come and buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food Incline your ear and come to me hear that your soul may live and I will make you with an and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David Behold I made him a witness to the people a leader and commander for the peoples behold you shall call a nation that you do not know a nation that you did not know you shall run to you shall run to you because of the lord your god and of the holy one of israel for he has glorified you seek the lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the lord that he may have compassion on him and to our god for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the lord for as, as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth if it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which i purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which i sent it god bless this word amen Thank you. Thank you Joshua. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we come in surrender, Lord. We come hungry and thirsty. Uh we come repenting that we have filled our hearts with many things other than Christ and they have not satisfied us. So today, Lord, we pray give us the grace to come and feast on Christ Jesus through this passage thank you in Jesus name we pray amen
you know, I guess most of us would have latched on uh, to verses 8 and 9 from the passage we just read. Uh, perhaps those are familiar verses for some of us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even if you're not familiar with this verse, um, I guess you would have perhaps found yourself agreeing with this verse as it was being read out for us. Who can know the mind of God? Surely God's thoughts are infinitely higher than our thoughts. Surely his ways are higher than our ways. And so this verse reminds us of the huge gap that exists between God and us. This verse reminds us of how high God is and how low we are. It reminds us of how infinite God is and how limited we are. So at first glance, it does seem as if this verse is calling us to be cognizant of the greatness of God and the lowliness of men. If anything, this verse only makes us acutely aware of this huge gap between God and us. If that's what this verse is communicating, why did I pick this chapter and this verse for an Advent sermon? Advent is a season when we remember that God became man and came near to us. But this verse seems to suggest that God is so high and far away from us. So why did I pick this chapter for an Advent uh, sermon? I picked this verse because we, I, I think, and I, I can speak, I definitely speak for myself, perhaps for others too. We may have understood the meaning of this verse for a long, long time. And here's what I'm hoping to do in the sermon this morning. I'm hoping to show us that this verse is not telling us that God is high and far away from us. But I'm hoping to show that this verse is actually helping us see that God is near and close to us. This verse is actually telling us the very opposite of what we had assumed this verse was communicating. This verse is not communicating the opposite message of Advent. And we've perhaps failed to see that this verse is actually showing us the very essence of Advent, which is God with us, God near us, and not God far away. And which is why I've titled this sermon, Surprising Love. We're going to draw three things uh, from this passage, the surprising call of Advent, the great assurance of Advent, and the sure accomplishment of Advent. The surprising call of Advent, the great assurance of Advent, and the sure accomplishment of Advent. Let's dive into the first thing, the surprising call of Advent. Let's look at the first few verses we read. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money and without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. This passage, of course, is ultimately a call to come to Jesus and find eternal life in him. He is the living water for everyone who thirsts. John, John used, uh, uh, Jesus used similar verses in the Gospel of John in chapter 7, 37, when he called people to him. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me to drink. All good so far. Um, but this passage is, may make some Christians, and this passage may make some people, uncomfortable. God seems to be talking about the salvation and gift of eternal life in very fleshly terms. Some of us might find this strange because God seems to be, if you look at the first part of the passage, God seems to be talking about uh, salvation and the gift of eternal life in very fleshly terms. Look at the second part of verse 1. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Seriously? Come by wine without price? Free alcohol? That's, that's surely going to make uh, some people very uncomfortable. Uh, the Bible often uses wine as a euphemism for, for joy or for gladness. Now look at Psalm 104, for example. God causes the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen the man's heart. Salvation brings great gladness, and God is using wine as a euphemism to describe this gladness. But that's not all. Now look at the second part of verse 2. Listen diligently to me, God says, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Delight yourselves yourselves in rich food. Does this sound spiritual to you? Not at all. This this sounds quite fleshly. So, So what's God trying to do here? God is trying to get through to the heart of men and women in a language we can understand. You see, when Isaiah spoke these words, when God spoke these words through Isaiah, Israel, the people Isaiah was speaking to, wasn't really a a, a spiritual people. And so God was speaking a language they would understand. At this time, Israel was just completely in rebellion against God. And God was speaking in a language they would understand. God longs to make grace accessible to the most rebellious of sinners. Which is why God is talking about eternal life and salvation in the language of food, drink, and money. But even this is not the most surprising part of the passage. This is not the most surprising message of Advent. The most surprising part of this passage is that God is reasoning with men. It's as if he's almost pleading with men to come and enjoy his blessings 
and eternal life. Look at verse, look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? It is almost as if God is reasoning and even pleading with sinful people. I mean, this, this offer, um, it's not like God's trying to sell something for a price. The way he's making the offer, it's, it's incredible the way he's kind of inviting us to, to, to enjoy what he's giving us free. He's reasoning with us. And, and this is even more clear in Isaiah chapter 1. When Isaiah spoke, again, when Isaiah spoke these words to the people of Israel, they'd been neck deep in sin and rebellion for 200 years. They had disobeyed God. They were walking away from God for 200 years. Not two years, not 20 years, 200 years. And in Isaiah chapter 1, we see God was using some harsh words to rebuke them. You're like children I have reared and brought up, but you rebelled against me. That's verse 2 in chapter 1. And the next verse, verse 21, is the language. The language God uses will, will shock us. How the faithful city has become a whore. Sin, she who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderous. And this is the nation that's rejected God. It has sinned against God and turned against God. And God himself is declaring their rebellion. God is calling her out. And yet we see, I'm going to bring that verse up for us in just a minute. In that very same chapter, we see God is reasoning and even pleading with these very sinners who have rejected God for 200 years. Look at verse 18 from chapter 1. Come. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They will, though they are red like crimson, they, will, they shall become like wool. Can you see what's happening here? First, God tells Israel, you've become a whore. That's the depravity of your sin, sinfulness. Yes, God is calling out her sinfulness. But look at what he does in the very next breath. Come, let us reason together. Even though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. God's offer of abundant grace to the vilest of sinners is indeed surprising. And that's the first thing that I wanted to draw out for us from the passage. The surprising invitation, invitation of Advent. Advent happened for sinners, not for the righteous folks, if indeed there are any righteous folks. And that brings us uh, to the second thing that I want to draw out for us from this passage. The surprising assurance of Jesus Christ's Advent. The surprising assurance or the great assurance of Advent. Let's look at verses 7 uh, to 9 that we focused on at the beginning of the sermon. I'd like to read it again. Uh, and I won't read it slowly and carefully. Um, there is rich and surprising truth in this passage. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. 
and to our God. For God will abundantly pardon. For God will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I'm going to take some time to test our original impression that this verse only points to this great gap that exists, that indeed exists between God and men. The gap exists. That's real. That's for sure. No, no, no doubting that. But the question is, is that what this verse is saying? Look closely at the context of this verse and you will see a very different narrative playing out. Look closely at the connection between the end of verse 7 and verses 8 and 9 and you will see a very different narrative playing out. I've already shown us that the early part of this chapter is about God's gracious love to undeserving sinners. And the second part of the chapter that we are focusing on now also begins on that very note. Verse 7 talks about God will abundantly pardon, not little. Uh, and this, this suggests a wholehearted pardon. Not some pardon, not half-hearted pardon, but wholehearted, abundant pardon. That's what verse 7 says. And then verse 8 and 9 says, God's ways and thoughts are infinitely higher than our Ways and thoughts. Do you, do you feel these two words are connected? Do you, do you see a flow of meaning? Initially, maybe not. And these two verses do seem kind of disconnected. Is you know, it's actually confusing us if you if you really look at these two verses. Is God first lovingly calling sinners to come to Him, and then is He making those sinners feel miserable by telling them, "My thoughts are higher than your thoughts." My ways are higher than your ways. If we interpret this verse as to show the, the gap that exists between God and men, if that's the interpretation of this verse, then why is God calling us to come to him for abundant forgiveness? It doesn't add up. Imagine this. Imagine you have done something really, really, really really bad and and uh, you the holy spirit is convicting you and you you know you realize and you cannot keep quiet uh, and you feel the, the real need to come and confess and, and ask for help and and you walk up to me and you confess that 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 horrible thing that i don't even want to even want to think about you, you come and confess that to me and uh, like a good pastor i respond to you and i tell you uh, God's grace is available. Uh, please come home. I'd like to spend some time with you. Um, and maybe it'll help me talk about it. I, I definitely want to pray with you. And I want to definitely want to spend that time helping you find God's forgiveness. And, and you take my invitation at face value and you come home. And when you come home, I tell you that I'm the pastor and I'm much better than you. I tell you, I don't do the bad stuff you do. I tell you that my thoughts are much purer than your thoughts. And my ways are so much better than your ways. Makes no sense, right? Why would I lovingly call you home when you need forgiveness? And why would I make you feel miserable 
by telling you my thoughts are so much higher than your thoughts. Now, I, I think if you see it in the full context, it does suggest that we've been interpreting this verse wrong. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there is no gap between God and man. There is a huge gap. Yes. But what I'm saying is this verse is not calling us to see that gap. On the contrary, this verse is calling us to see how close God is to us. And I'm going to, I'm, by God's grace, I'm hoping to unpack that for us. Verses 7 and 8, uh, verses 6, 7 and 8 are not disjointed. Verses 7 and 8, yes. They are not disjointed. They are expressing a single beautiful truth. Here's what God's saying. It's there on the screen. I will, abandon, I will abundantly pardon the vilest of sinners for, that's the connection, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now, I want you to think, when you go to God with, with the vilest of your sins, what do you expect? Most often, we don't expect forgiveness. We expect God's going to be cold. We expect God's going to be disappointed. We expect God's going to be angry. We don't expect God to forgive us. That's what God's saying. For I will abundantly pardon the wildest, wildest of sinners. And when we go to God in the wildest of our sins, we don't expect forgiveness. We expect punishment. But God says, no, I will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. God is saying, my thoughts of forgiving sinners are infinitely higher than your thoughts of how I forgive sinners. This is the right way to fully understand this verse in its full context. Did you see what I'm getting at? When God is saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, God's not making a general statement. He is making a specific statement. The general statement is true indeed, but he is not making that general statement here. He's making a very specific statement about his love and mercy. He is saying he is willing and ready to forgive sinners way more than what we can ever imagine. That's what he means when he says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God desires to forgive sinners far more than we could ever imagine he could. That's what God is communicating here. When God talks about the highness of his thoughts over our thoughts, the highness of his ways over our ways, he's communicating the highness of his mercy. The highness of God's thoughts and ways is the highness of his mercy for us in comparison with our own expectations of mercy from him. God delights in forgiving sinners far more than we could ever expect he will or imagine he could. His thoughts, and, and the word thoughts includes a lot of things. His meditations, his dreams, his desires, his, uh, his 
uh, his the longings of his heart everything everything he is meditating on everything he is thinking about it includes all of that so some total of all of that that's what we mean by thoughts his thoughts of forgiving sinners are way higher than what we can imagine his ways of forgiving sinners are infinitely higher than what we can imagine this is the central idea of this passage the highness of god's thoughts and ways expressed here is the highness of his mercy for us in comparison with our own expectations of our mercy of mercy from him this is the great assurance of advent now tell me does this verse communicate that god is high and far away from us or does this verse communicate that god is close and near to sinners the highness of god's merciful thoughts and the highness of god's merciful ways is drawing us closer to god and so this verse this passage in isaiah 55 his thoughts are higher than our thoughts his ways are higher than our thoughts we've been interpreting this verse all wrong because we haven't seen it in the full context of the chapter this verse is all about a god who's near to us this verse is not about a god who's far away this verse is about how jesus christ became emmanuel this verse is about how god became man to come near to us so that he can forgive us empathize with us feel the pain we feel experience the temptations we experience and yet be without sin and go up to the cross dying for us so that we and Christ and God and the Holy Spirit can be together for eternity you see the message of this verse in Isaiah 55 is not the opposite of the message of advent but this verse beautifully captures the theme of advent which is in christ god is near to sinners not far away in his great mercy a holy god is drawing wild sinners to himself and of course he does that through the atoning work of christ jesus listen the the reason the reason we fail sometimes go away from god or drift away from god or even walk away from god is not because god will not forgive us but it is because we cannot believe that god will forgive us it's not because god does not want to forgive us but it's because we cannot believe that god wants to forgive us 
So we feel disconnected from God only because we hugely underestimate how much God desires to forgive us. We have no idea of the joy, the thrill, the pleasure, the delight that God experiences in his heart when he forgives us. He is not forgiving us grudgingly. He is not forgiving us thinking, when is this man, when is this woman going to improve? He's been doing the same thing again and again for the last 25 years. No, that's not what God's going through God's heart. Every single time he forgives us, he experiences delight in forgiving us because that's why Jesus died for us. He ensured that because when God forgives us, what Jesus died for is, is coming to fruition. We feel disconnected from God because we hugely underestimate how much delight God experiences when he forgives us. Look at verse 9 from Isaiah 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That talks about the gap, how, how high his mercy is. There's another verse in Psalm 103. We read that yesterday as part of our community Bible reading. And that's really helpful in understanding this verse in Isaiah 55. I'm reading from Psalm 103 verses uh, 8 to 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now this verse, verse 11. Connect verse 11 to Isaiah 55, the verse we've been looking at. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Again, do you see the connection here? The highness of God's thoughts and ways communicated in Isaiah is primarily the infinite highness, highness of his mercy and love. So the lesson for us is simply this. Do not measure God's love and mercy by mere human standards. Do not measure God's love and mercy by mere human expectations. Do not even measure God's love and mercy by the most hopeful of human imagination because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways of mercy are higher than our ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways higher than ours. So if I slightly amplify Isaiah 55 verse 9, this is how it will, it will read. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways of mercy higher than your ways. And my thoughts, says God, God's thoughts of mercy higher than our thoughts. God desires to forgive us infinitely more than we expect him to forgive us. And let that sink deep into our soul. Let that sink deep into our soul. This is a message of Advent. No one 
is too far away from the grace of God. No one is too bad, is so bad that God's grace cannot forgive and transform that person. This is the great assurance of Advent. Let's move to the last thing that I would like to draw for us from this passage. The sure accomplishment of Advent. The sure accomplishment of Advent. Look at the last two verses of Isaiah 55 that we read from the passage that we read. Verses 10 and 11, Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We know from the Gospel of John that the Word of God and the Son of God are one and the same, both referring to Jesus Christ. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the great grand joy of Advent. Now let's read Isaiah 55.11 in this light. God is saying that his word, which is his son, shall accomplish and succeed in the purpose that God the Father sent him to earth for. And we all know how this word of God, this son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished God's purpose. He did that. Through his virgin birth. He did that through his sinless life. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, but never sinned. On the contrary, he did every good work a man could ever do and lived the most perfect life, pleasing the Father in every way. And yet, in his death, he stood, he hung on the cross as our substitute. And he absorbed the full wrath of God for every one of your sins and mine. Now, we need to remember in God's character, his holiness and his wrath upon sin is as high as his mercy. And so the fullness of God's wrath was completely absorbed by Jesus. That height, that infinite gap that could never be bridged, Christ stood in that gap, absorbing every sin that caused that gap upon himself so that in him, through his atoning work, we can experience this God so near to us. Christ was forsaken so we could be forgiven. The birth, the life, the the death, And the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the sure accomplishment of Advent. It is only because of Jesus that God can abundantly pardon sinners. It is only because of Jesus that God can derive infinite joy, pleasure, and delight in forgiving sinners. 
It is only because of Jesus that God can be infinitely merciful to us. Let us pray. Father, we worship you, Lord. Uh, Lord, I'm just so ashamed of how much I have underestimated the mercy of God and how much I continue to underestimate the love of God. I have no idea, Lord, how much you love us, how much you delight in forgiving us. For if only I had this knowledge, sin would lose all its hold over me. If only I had this knowledge, bitterness would lose all its hold over me. If only I had this knowledge, mere earthly disappointments would lose all its hold over me. If only I had this knowledge, I would not idolize my career or my ministry or anything. But I would just empty myself of everything that I might receive fully of the love of Christ. That I might come and drink and buy without money, without price. Buy milk, wine and bread, all for free. And I would, I would delight in the richest of foods, which is Christ himself. So we pray, Lord. I pray and we pray together, Holy Spirit, may your word, may your word and your spirit work in our hearts and bring that transformation and enable us, Lord, to see and experience in ever-increasing degree the love and the mercy that God the Father has for us in Christ Jesus, his Son. Father, as we come to the end of this uh, four weeks, of Advent, we've just been reflecting on, on the gospel, on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. May that change us forever, Lord, and prepare us uh, for whatever life may bring the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.